Ed Grady is still out, potentially covering a Raiders practice. We'll see if they cancel that today, but we'll talk to him at 730. Adam Candy's in here for Ed once again. And a lot of people get really excited once they're not Raiders anymore. The first bite. Why is everyone happy to leave the Raiders? So this week we've had two former Raiders, two guys that uh, were let go during this off season. Say something along the lines of being happy to get out of there. First was Arden Key, who is with the 49ers. Uh, he told KNBR, to be honest, I wanted to get out of there. I've been wanting to get out of there. I wasn't surprised. I was more happy than surprised. I wish it happened a little earlier, but hey, I got what I wanted and I'm good. And then LaMarcus Joyner said that he was a misfit with the Raiders. He's happy to be playing safety again. The Raiders moved him to nickel cornerback and that he was just a little bit frustrated. And I'm so happy it's over now. The Raiders have not been good defensively in a very long time. The Raiders have had one playoff appearance in 18 years. So I don't think it's that big of a surprise that players are happy when they move on from a bad team. I do think it's a little bit of a surprise that we have heard this. And this is not the first time that we have heard multiple players sort of willingly say, yeah, I was happy to leave Las Vegas. I was happy to leave the Raiders. You know, Tyler, the NFL ultimately is a very small world. There are 32 teams, and we see how often coaches get recycled. And so you would think to yourself that if you're one of those players and free agency is as much of a churn as it is every year, that you wouldn't burn any bridges, right? Oh. It doesn't seem like any of these players are particularly concerned about ever coming back to a John Gruden team. That's because they know in like four years when John Gruden's still here, he'll have forgotten that he had signed them. <laughs> it's, it is kind of amazing because, again, when you have a bad team, like I, one of my favorite things in sports is like when there's a bad team or when there's a team that like fails in the playoffs, we get stories about how the locker room was broken up or something like that. Like you never get bad locker room stories from a team that wins. And it's just because, oh, they lost, right? Like, that's why we end up having these bad locker room stories. That's why we end up having, you know, some we'll get to Jason Kidd stuff later in the show because Jason Kidd and the Bucks was not good. Like, those are the stories you get when a team is losing. And naturally, when guys play for a team that loses a lot and whatever, they're going to be happy to leave. They're going to be happy to have a new start. But like you said, for them to say it out loud, for them to put it out there in the public, when it is such a small community, when there are just a limited number of jobs and a limited number of people that can give you those jobs, that, I think, is the, the more concerning part if you're the Raiders, that nobody is worried. Nobody cares about saying, yeah, it sucked to be a Raider. It sucked to play with John Gruden. It wasn't a fit there. I was frustrated. I wish they had cut me earlier. Talking about John Gruden as a play caller, We've always talked about Gruden being able to scheme up an offense, right? That he can scheme up a passing offense. Great. That's all well and good to the job that he's been hired to do. The problem, as we've seen, whether it's in the draft or whether it's in free agency, and here we've got Arden Key, who was drafted, and LaMarcus Joyner, who was signed as a free agent, is talent evaluation. And there are two different problems here when we talk about Arden Key and talk about LaMarcus Joyner. So... Arden Key was drafted out of LSU, and even as recently as last year, Tyler, he actually, by pro football focus, outgraded 
Max Crosby. <laughs> Outgraded Max Crosby in pass rush and in run defense. He was fourth on the entire team in pressures, and he played about 55% of the pass rush snaps that Max Crosby did. And if you play out all the way to a full complement of pass rush snaps, the same as Max Crosby got, he would have had more pressures, assuming a linear move there. So that says to me that they failed to evaluate the talent they had in Arden Key in terms of using him for a pass rush that desperately needed help. On the LaMarcus Joyner side, you talked about the fact that they moved him to the slot. I mean, look, the Rams played him the first two seasons in the same position and then realized, hey, this isn't working. And they moved him to safety, and he then proceeded to have the two highest pro football focus grades of his career, including one season at 92, which is about as close to elite as you can get. And so the Raiders looked at that. They signed him and said, you're going right back to the place where you didn't perform as well. And LaMarcus Joyner said all the right things at the time. Oh, yeah, I can do this, blah, blah, blah. Well, it didn't work. And I don't know who you blame for it, but you certainly blame the Raiders' side for evaluating the talent and saying we're going to put him at a different position where we already know that he hasn't succeeded in the past. Especially in year two, because the Raiders signed him to be their nickel corner and it, he was not very good in year one. And then last year, after seeing a full season of LaMarcus Joyner not be very good as a nickel corner, they still left him there. They never made that change to say, huh, let's see what this guy can do at safety. And that was despite, I mean, they, they fired their defensive coordinator in the middle of the year. I mean, they brought in, you know, Rod Marinelli got an elevated two defensive coordinator. Like they were trying to fix the defense, but that never apparently came up was, hey, let's move LaMarcus Joyner back to safety and see if that makes anything better. And the other part of that is it's not like the Raiders are sitting on good safeties. It's not like the Raiders had terrific safety play last year. And it was like, well, you can't move them there because they're getting good production out of the safeties. No, they could have used good production out of pretty much any position on the field defensively last year. So the LaMarcus Joyner one is like that. That's a, one of the biggest swings and misses on the Raiders. And he goes back to the jets. Jets play him at safety. If he's all of a sudden really good again as a defensive back, as a safety, like that's going to look horrific for the Raiders because, Hey, he was terrible for two years sandwiched between great seasons at safety. What went wrong? Oh, the Raiders played him out of position. I do want to well, ask you that. Oh, go ahead. Just to, just to finish the thought on that, uh, who signed him in New York? He's going to play for Robert Sala. Robert Sala was the defensive coordinator with the 49ers when he was watching LaMarcus Joyner play for the Rams. I would say he knows what he has. On Arden Key, if he had gotten the same amount of snaps as Max Crosby, do you think he would have actually sacked the quarterback once? Yeah, I know. That is definitely <laughs> part of the question here. Although he did, he did have more hits. Then Max Crosby, if you combine hits and pressure, hits and sacks, then Crosby had 16 and Key had 12. So in the end, maybe he would have gotten there to the quarterback. We all we know that sacks are often context dependent. And it's more about did you pressure the quarterback? Did you hit the quarterback? And Arden Key clearly had more ability than what the Raiders allowed him to show, which seems to be a common theme. Yeah, I mean, just my favorite thing about Arden Key was his first two years. He had a ton of pressures and sacks. And I guess, I mean, it continued into his third year as well. But he had a ton of pressure and pressures, and uh, but he didn't have many sacks. Like, he just, they just didn't come for him. He had one in his first year, two in his second year. He had zero last year in 14 games. And it was my favorite thing about it because it was like, okay, everything indicates this guy is actually going to start bringing the quarterback down but it never came around. And like my favorite Arden key play, 
like the the funniest play that ever happened was against the Texans when he had Deshaun Watson in his hands, like swung him around, couldn't get him down. Arden Key's foot hit Deshaun Watson in the eye. Deshaun Watson got out of it and still threw a touchdown pass on the play. It's like the perfect example of what Arden Key's NFL career is. Oh, he's there. He's going to get there. Oh, they still scored a touchdown. Deshaun Watson still scored a touchdown. A lot of other quarterbacks probably don't on that play. The point being with Arden Key, he was able to get there. And just being able to get there is a skill set that is not uh, particularly voluminous on the Raiders roster. What do you mean? You don't like Max Crosby's like 50% of his career sacks have come against the Bengals? And the Jaguars. If you take the two the two games in the last two years against the Jaguars and the Bengals, I believe that is seven and a half of his sacks. <laughs> and what's uh, Cleveland Furl? He only had two last year, and they were both against the Jets, right? Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah. I'm, don't hold me to that. Okay. I, I mean, I'm I'm confident he had two against the Jets. I just don't know if that was the only two that he had last year or not. But basically, the Raiders' young defensive linemen have either, hey, Arden Key can get there but not bring the guy down, or... Well, we can do it against the worst three teams in the NFL, but nobody else. That's what the pass rush has been like for this team. So, listen, I, the defense has been bad. I'm not surprised people are happy to leave. I'm a little surprised we've heard it as much as we have um, because when you're bad, you don't exactly have good experiences. You're not exactly happy there. Uh, but we'll see what Arden... I mean, do you think Arden Key is going to be any good in San Francisco? I think everyone who goes to that team has a chance to be good. I think they're going to use him in a situational role when you think about the talent that's there. Uh, but when it comes to this team overall, though, Tyler, it's it's not just Arden Key. It's not just LaMarcus Joyner. Corey Littleton came in last year. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, Nick Kwiatkowski had the highest coverage grade among linebackers last year. He's running with the second team this Behind year. Tanner Muse. Uh, Cleveland Furl. Damon Arnett, uh, you can go on and on in terms of the evaluation of talent and or the use of the talent they have. You know who one of their most effective pass rushers was for the better part of 2019 and actually for part of last year as well was Carl Nassib. We were talking about Carl Nassib as a guy who was going to get cut. Yeah. So it, it's just it's mystifying to me that this team, even when it has talent in its hands, has not been able to make it sing on the defensive side. So this year we're looking at Casey Hayward, potentially a new addition starting at cornerback. And he can Gakwe, a new addition starting at defensive end. They drafted Trayvon Morig, who's going to most likely be one of the starting safeties on this team. And they've got like 100 different guys to play in one of those two defensive tackle spots, some new, some old. But I guess what I'm trying to figure out here is eventually the Raiders are going to hit on one or two of these, right? Like they can't continue to whiff on every draft pick or every defensive signing, right? Like eventually one of these guys is going to work out like Yannick Ngakwe might be the guy that has 12 or 13 sacks and actually makes this a legitimate pass. Eventually one of those has to work. Yeah, it has to is a strong word, a uh, set of words. And if you listen to some smart people who talk about this defense, they basically have said, look, if you're going to not just this defense, really this entire roster, but this defense in specific if you're going to, as John Gruden and Mike Mayock, if you're going to swim against the stream of how the rest of the NFL is doing things, and they've seemed to do this in terms of trying to build up their run game and their run-stopping game as opposed to their passing game and their pass-stopping game, then eventually you've got to hit on some of these things. And that's the problem. That's the problem. They haven't. What, 
what would you look at and say has been a big hit? Maybe Hunter Renfro? Is that the best you can point to in terms of draft picks with this team? Well, draft picks, yeah. I mean, I was going to say Darren Waller is the far and away the biggest hit they've had since John Gruden took over. Yeah, yeah, but that that also has a really big asterisk on it because the Ravens knew Darren Waller was talented. It was a matter of trying to make sure his uh, situation was straightened out. Yeah, I mean, from a draft pick standpoint, Hunter Renfro has been a good value for what was a mid-round pick. I mean, Max Crosby's been a good value for what was a mid-round pick as well, but I think the issue is is they've been relying on Max Crosby to be their best pass rusher the last two seasons, and that's you don't want Max Crosby to be your best pass rusher. But outside of that, like the, the big problem for the Raiders has been they have whiffed on so many high draft picks that they went into rebuilding mode. They traded away Khalil Mack. They traded away Amari Cooper. They got all these first-round picks for it and they didn't actually cash in with high-value players out of those picks. That's the issue with this team. Most of the guys they got from those picks, like a Cleveland Furl, or, or I guess that was with their own record, but, you know, the the Josh Jacobs and, Jonathan the, Abram. and the Jonathan Abram picks there, like, they haven't gotten actual value out of those players that they would have gotten out of Khalil Mack or even Amari Cooper in that case. Like, they just they failed on those draft picks. They went into rebuild mode and failed on all the high draft picks they had. So... The other piece of this is we keep talking about the picks they get from the Khalil Mack trade. And let's not say that the Raiders were a great defense overall when Khalil Mack was here, right? It's just that if you're going to look at that defense, which had a cornerstone, and take away that cornerstone and rebuild the whole thing, then you got to get more than what they've gotten, which is, let's see here, 13 sacks in 2018, 32 sacks in 2019, 21 in 2020, those ranked dead last, 24th and 29th. And the Raiders in the past five years have ranked last in sacks twice. So where is it going to come from? Whether it comes from the draft, whether it comes from free agency. So what, basically what we're saying, if it comes from Cleveland Furl or it comes from Yannick Ngakwe, it, it has to come from somewhere. And let's keep in mind that for everyone pointing to Yannick Ngakwe, he's on his fourth team in three seasons. If he's that quality of a pass rusher, then he needs to go ahead and show it and stick in one place because on his fourth team in three years, you say that the rest of the league has looked and said, yeah, something doesn't fit here the way that it did back when Yannick Ngakwe was getting big sack numbers in Jacksonville. All right, the Rolling Stones are coming to Allegiant Stadium. The No Filter Tour will be here November 6th. We're going to have multiple ways to win tickets to go see the Rolling Stones, so make sure you keep listening for details on that. Coming up next... We'll jump into little Golden Knights and how much are Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee on the hot seat this year? Oh, it's the heart of the offseason for the NHL. But stealing a mailbag question from The Athletic about the front office here in Vegas. And it's a pretty simple one. Are Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee on the hot seat? Um, I mean, certainly not at the moment, but I guess, Adam, what's like What's the minimum expectation for the Golden Knights next year from Bill Foley's perspective? Because that's the only person who matters here, right? right? Like We can talk about our expectations, and I think our expectations are different than Bill Foley's expectations. So my opinion on this hasn't changed from the day Gerard Gallant was fired. Uh, the, the firing of Gerard Gallant told everybody in this organization, you either win the Stanley Cup or your job is potentially in question. And Marc-Andre Fleury's trade makes it even more obvious 
that even high performance is not enough to save you, right? If Bill Foley thinks that there's a way that you can go out and win the Stanley Cup, it doesn't matter how you performed last year. You're stopping them on the salary cap. Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vezina Trophy and was traded. So the organization seems to have a minimum expectation that you are contributing to winning a Stanley Cup. So if this team will just take the last two years as an example, they lose in the Western Conference Finals again. Like, I think everybody would view that sort of as failure, but at the same time, it's hard to fire a guy who or two guys that have built a team that's gone to three straight Final Fours in the league. Like, I'm just, like, the idea of a hot seat, I I think it's pretty clear, like, if this team... uh, unbelievably missed the playoffs, they're fired no matter what. If this team, I think, got bounced in the first round, it's pretty easy to see them fired. But, like, if they get to the Western Conference Final and lose again, if they get to even the Stanley Cup Final and lose again, that's where I I kind of don't know what Bill Foley would do because he's been very aggressive as an owner. I mean, before anybody actually realized this team was good, he was out here talking about winning a Stanley Cup in six years with this organization. So he's been very aggressive with how high his expectations are for this team, I just don't quite know, would he view, hey, another Western Conference final loss, another semifinal loss, as failure enough to fire the guys that have built the team? The hot seat is sort of one of these nebulous things that we talk about all the time. And is it something where you're immediately going to get fired if things go wrong? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, We often hear uh, owners come out and say something along the lines of essentially that the hot seat means that I'm watching this year, which maybe for the Golden Knights would be next year if we don't hear any more from Bill Foley and they have a rough season. So I think it's something that probably would need a little bit more definition than just do they fire them or not uh but when it comes to the golden knights as an organization tyler I, it, you have to be able to look at the playoffs as a crapshoot to really be able to safely evaluate the hockey talent that you have and even though the golden knights have lost to inferior opponents in the western conference final in the last two years i think you also have to say this is the team that not only beat the colorado avalanche but that won four straight games against the Colorado Avalanche. And yeah, they had some things go their way, but that's the playoffs. That's exactly what the playoffs are. The Colorado Avalanche were the best team in the Western Conference last year. And I'm not just talking about winning a tiebreaker against the Golden Knights for uh, for the President's Trophy. They were the best team by any metric you want to use. They were better than the Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights beat them in the playoffs. So they've established a baseline that can get to the Western Conference Finals. I think that should take away the hot seat idea from everybody but at the same time Pete DeBoer is out here complimenting himself for taking a team that was at 500 and spinning its wheels and accomplishing what and accomplishing what with them in the eyes of Bill Foley it seems to me that if you're not accomplishing winning a Stanley Cup then you are at least replaceable yeah and and like you brought up the playoffs being a crapshoot and the idea of winning the Stanley Cup being like that that's the end goal here but like to me the way I would evaluate the front office is they have been phenomenal and a game seven loss in round one to San Jose, a series loss to Dallas in the conference finals and a series loss to Montreal in the conference finals. None of those are good things, but at the end of the day, the team has been awesome in the regular season pretty much since their existence. And they've, they've won a whole bunch of playoff series. Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with the team. Like McPhee and McCrimmon have built one of the 
three or four best teams in this league. And they've been at that level for quite a while now. So to me, like I would look at it and say, well, no, I'm not getting rid of these guys. We just, the NHL playoffs can be dumb and Montreal can somehow rip off seven straight wins before they even play the uh, golden Knights in the third round. And even though they were under 500 in the regular season. So to me, that's how I would view it. I'm just, I'm curious how Bill Foley views it because the other part of this conversation is getting rid of Marc-Andre Fleury. We know Bill Foley loved Marc-Andre Fleury. We know this fan base loved Marc-Andre Fleury. If Robin Leonard fails them in the playoffs, right? If they get eliminated from the playoffs because Robin Leonard is bad in a playoff series or something like that, I'm curious how that impacts the way Foley views his front office. Basically a, hey, you told me we had to get rid of Marc-Andre Fleury because we needed to build a better roster and we would be fine with Robin Leonard and we weren't. But on that same idea, I kind of thought the same thing about firing Gerard Gallant. I thought the same thing of, wow, that was a pretty big move in the middle of a season to fire Gerard Gallant, bring in Pete DeBoer. It's basically McPhee and McCrimmon saying like our jobs are on the line now, but two playoff seasons later, their jobs weren't really on the line that entire time. So I I'm curious how fully views, Hey, I had to get rid of Mark Andre Fleury because you said that would help us win the cup. Oh, we didn't win the cup. That almost makes it sound like an emotional sort of thing, which I don't think is really what Bill Foley is given to as an owner. Uh, this organization is going to be competitive this year. And I think the only way that that flurry trade becomes an issue comes through one of two ways. Uh, one is if Robin Leonard is terrible or if the uh, if the fan base of this team revolts so much against <laughs> a poor start to the season, right? If this team gets off to a terrible start and they are still getting booed repeatedly at home, then I do think that that's to become part of the question because you either have to be winning the cup or you have to be sh- making money if you're not winning the cup. And the one thing that this team without question through four years has been absolutely fantastic at is making money because they have sold out the building. They have sold out the merchandise. They have done everything that they can to maximize the profit for Bill Foley as an owner. And so if that's affected, I think that has more effect than Marc-Andre Fleury being traded and the Golden Knights getting a couple of weird bounces again and getting knocked out you know, in the second round of the playoffs. All right, coming up next, Ed Graney joins us from what we assume will actually be a Raiders practice today. Ed Graney has been a journalist for over 30 years. He's seen a lot of shit and been given a lot of free stuff. Oh, brother. All right, back to show and tell. Whether it was scurvy or a padre eating a Snickers bar. Why don't you bring this potato? You're always trying to give me potatoes. What is it with you? Ed Graney is here to show and tell. All right, Ed, we talked to you at 7.30 yesterday. You were in a parking lot saying they wouldn't let you in. So what the hell happened between talking to us and practice getting canceled? Uh, boys got a day off. GPS trackers said there was a lot of running the day before. <laughs> I'm going with the reporting here. Apparently there's a lot of running, and they did it uh, hard. They ran hard, and uh, they practiced hard. So the GPS, if you watch the really boring um, uh, hard knocks with the Cowboys the night before, they did the same thing, and they were all mad. Like McCarthy was mad by Dak Prescott because the GPS said he, he threw too much and he was out in the field too much. So that's the GPS tracker where all these guys have them on. And at the end of the day, 
coaches go, okay, what was the effort? How much did they extend? How much did we do? So yesterday, John Gruden, for whatever reason, had them getting pads, which was weird. They walked on the field, and they went over to a bunch of kids who were there at practice, although I don't know why those kids were there because school started this week, so who knows what's, that, what's <laughs> happening with them. Uh, they talked to those kids, and then they said practice is off. So if they hadn't – there's a couple things. If they hadn't gone in and lifted and done their meetings, then you're like, oh, is there something going on? And everyone said, is it COVID? And you knew that wasn't the case because they had tested the night before, and there was no one added to the list. So it wasn't COVID. So uh, it's boring, and it's not uh, sexy headlines, but I think the guy just said, you know what, let's give him the day off. So, okay, you you brought up the two questions there. Why make them get in pads if you're going to give them the day off? Yeah. And why invite the school kids out when you're going to give them a day off? Well, I mean, let's be honest. The odds Gruden knew that there were school kids coming <laughs> was like him like not knowing when Deucer's lifting next. I mean – there's no chance Gruden, who's so locked into like every detail of his practice, new kids were coming. Because there's group, there's new groups out here every day. Fans, season ticket holders. Yesterday it was kids. So I'll give him that. I'll give him that leeway that he wouldn't have known. Now, why he got them in pads and they're in shorts and pads today? They're not in full pads. I don't know. Maybe you know he just you know he was going to surprise them. Like I said, they went and lifted. We didn't get them to like an hour and a half later. So they definitely lifted and did other things. So maybe it was just his weird way of giving them a day off. That was like the one mystery question. Like, why didn't they just tell them before they put on their pads? Yeah. So did they run the GPS data at 729 yesterday morning? Like, (laughs) it feels like they might have had that available a little sooner. I do think, and I do believe, because I watched the PR people, um, and they were called over when everyone's on the field, and they kind of looked weird, and they looked around, and they said, well, that's it, guys. So I don't even think they knew. Like, they looked around, and they literally like, "Uh, we just got told there's no practice. So... Yeah, maybe a GPS guy overslept, and you know he was late with the numbers. And Gruden said, "Hey, these numbers are pretty good. Let's take the day off." So, I think that was it. Look, there's always a chance or something more, but it wasn't like anyone looked to be missing. I mean, Waller's not going to practice anyway, so you know you saw the numbers and you go over the numbers. Had someone important been missing? You know, like, oh, what's wrong with him? But there was none of that. So it just seems like he said, "You know what? Let's surprise them and give them the day off." Um, is Darren Waller okay? Like, is he going to be playing? Well, I don't. Well, I, he's not going to play this week. Though. Well, I don't think anybody's playing this. No, week. I don't think anyone's playing this week. Um, I was actually surprised. I didn't know this. I didn't get that close to tabs of him. But Carr said yesterday. I think he said he's only played two games. Was that that was? I thought that was really interesting in exhibition. Not that I disagree with it. I half the time in exhibitions, I wouldn't play anybody that's important to your team. Um, I do know right now if Waller is not in the lineup, Moreau will be good because he just was pretty spry going in uh, motion there. <laughs> so Foster Moreau is ready. He's now pointing out the defensive linebacker he's about to take on. Just a nice pulling block by Foster. So don't worry about Darren Waller because Moreau's ready to go if he needs to be. There you go. He's he's going to make defenders rock, paper, scissors to see who's allowed yeah, to tackle him. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, going to be – Foster Moreau. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely perfect. Uh, Ed – uh, we were talking earlier about the fact that uh, both Arden Key and LaMarcus Joyner were pretty vocal about being happy to be away from the Raiders uh, this season. What's going on there? Why are these guys so willing to talk about getting away from the uh, organization? Uh, you know what? To me, it's like you see that a lot, not just with the Raiders when guys go away and they're asked questions. And I don't know why. They got paid pretty well here. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like you see, it feels they have to – justify maybe why they didn't succeed at a previous stop and you know very few pro athletes are going to put that put it on themselves as we know so what do you do well then you blame the team or the system or the scheme i mean that they're not you know original on that fact and 
when that happens, I always think, well, okay, you know, look in the mirror. You know, I mean, but they don't, you know, they're not going to do that publicly, especially with new teams and new reporters and everything. So when they said it, I didn't even blink. Like, you know, you've seen that so often where guys go to new places and it's always everyone else's fault. I will go back to Waller really quick. I don't know if we talked about this yesterday. Two days ago, he did do like a really like extended workout at the end of the field, running, sprinting, cutting. So I will say I think he's pretty much fine and they're just being um, cautious with him. But back to your question, I don't know about you guys, but I just expect that from guys who leave and either didn't get the playing time or didn't play, you know, uh, the, the role they wanted to. You always see that when they go away. It's never about themselves. Uh, Ed, I have a quote here from Clay Baker. Uh, he says, it was a misfit with Ed. I was just a little bit frustrated. I'm so happy it's over now. But, hey, at least I got what I wanted. I'm good. I saw that. I thought he was talking about Trey Turner's slide. I thought that was weird. What did he just bring it up? Random Dodger events that have happened in the last well, few days. No, but I think he, I think he attached that that gift to to, to his comment there. Like he, 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 that that slide was on the comment. Um, but you know, I'm, I mean, I'm never gonna doubt Clay. I mean, I, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't have been happy being with me either. So uh, <laughs> you know, he's uh, good for you know. Finally, telling the truth, that kid. Uh, he's over uh, running Raider Nation Radio and. Uh, Good for him. I have to now, you know, uh, love Clay, but I have to now that we're part lean on other people. Uh, driving in uh, this morning, our good friend Pops Ramirez did text me at one point, careful on star, speed trap near school zone. Now, me in a school zone, uh, he knew I needed that text. Uh, thankfully, I got through needed it that safe. Text. I got through it. I got through it safe. I uh, didn't see any children. Maybe that was a problem. Uh, the problem they're probably at Raider practice instead of school. Uh, but yeah, I, I am now uh, focusing on my relationship. As a good friend Pops is taking care of me in the morning when it comes to my driving. All right, slight question on on Willie Ramirez there because he's tweeted a lot about it. Does does Willie like shadow as a traffic reporter? Yeah, he no, he tweets. But he goes, he goes. Well, I was trying to help you this morning. Uh, usually, I would tweet that out. Yeah, what, like okay. Like, but here's the problem with that, Willie. I don't know if the safest thing is to be tweeting or texting people when they're <laughs> supposed to be looking out for the speed traps. Like, I, if my phone's going off and I'm looking at my phone, it's probably not a good idea. So, you kind of gotta hope that we all see the same speed trap and and slow down. It's hard. You're coming in on to the Raiders complex. You get you get hit hard with the sun. Some days I forget the glasses. Me, me without the sunglasses and also the driving is just a complete disaster. So uh, I need the I need the glasses. I was fine today. I didn't see the speed trap. I never saw the guy, but obviously I was fine. <laughs> so wait a second. You in a school zone needed that. Do you just have you just have no respect for school zones? You just think the no, children no, no, should no. be fast I, enough I, no, to be able to, to dart, dodge Willie and dart? Did, Willie did not need to text me. I I in fact I go probably too slow through them and every time every time and it drives them crazy that one of my kids leave because we live by um, a school zone, leave the house, the last thing I say is kids on bikes because I know there's a bunch of kids on, and it drives them to where they now turn around and probably say, say, all right, Dad, kids on bikes. So, no, I am ultra, ultra safe in school zones. Okay, but doesn't that also imply that Willie is texting and driving while going through the school zone? Yes, it does imply that. Or It implies – what does it imply about Willie? <laughs> that he's texting and driving through the school zone. Yeah, or, or he got through the school zone. He gets Willie's here like at three in the morning. Like, yeah, Willie <laughs> gets a better parking space than he gets a better parking space than John Gruden. So, I think he might have gone through the school zone because the facility's like maybe 
a block and a half after the school zone. So he probably went through it, parked his uh, nice $100,000 Mercedes, and uh, and then texted me then because he's here before anyone. <laughs> Willie beats everyone here, including Gruden. So if you're listening and you're a police officer, look out yeah. for a Mercedes. That guy's texting and driving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if he's in a Mercedes and it's 3 in the morning headed towards the facility, then look out for him. Uh, and I know you wrote about Alec Ingold yesterday. Is John Gruden one of like the four people left on the planet keeping Alec Ingold and other fullbacks employed? You know what, Tyler? You know what surprised me? Now maybe like 20 of them are cut in the next week. Right now there's 23 at least listed fullbacks. I guess some could be tight ends, playing fullback, whatever, in the league, 23 of them. I don't think there'll be 23 on opening night. Obviously Gruden loves fullbacks. I was actually surprised at that number. I looked at the number in terms of contracts right now. And like I said, there's two. The guy in the Niners is really good. There's also another one listed. I mean, he's going to be cut immediately. So I don't think there's 23 of them. <laughs> but maybe people think more, you know, I'm not, they don't think as well of them as Gruden, but maybe there's a few coaches out there who kind of still see value in them. But, yeah, Gruden, Gruden by far loves the fullback more than anyone. Is this, didn't Deuce play, play fullback? Oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. So I'm at home writing this yesterday, and I look up the 23, and I said, you know, maybe more than Gruden Lovett, but nobody more than him. And in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute, the deucer was a fullback. No wonder he loves this position. Like, you know, we think alike. I said, wait, because the deucer, God love him, there's no way he was a tailback. I mean, he, he, he went through people. Deucer went through walls. So, yeah, I believe the deucer was a fullback, and maybe that goes, as I'm looking out in the middle of the field, there's the deucer. Um, I believe that that kind of goes towards John's love of the fullback. Uh, we hear the horn, so we can confirm they are practicing this morning. They are practicing. Okay. Deucer's about to lead them in stretches and sprints. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he's the one who stands in the field and does the stretching with them and the sprints, and then uh, they go from 60 degrees out to 100 degrees. Yeah, sounds fun. Well, enjoy it, Ed. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, fellas. Story about fullbacks. What what's the list here? Cleveland, San Francisco, Vegas. Is there any? Are there any other coaches or teams that love fullbacks a lot? Uh, I mean, look, Kyle Juszczyk is his own animal up in San Francisco, and uh, Alec Ingold will always have a record to his name here in this franchise. Oh, the first uh, touchdown scored by a Raider in Allegiant Stadium? Exactly. What a superstar he is. All right, coming up next, I'm still not convinced these stories are real, but Jason Kidd might be insane. And Diaz ropes it in the center for a base hit. On his way to third and around third, Brantley, he'll score. An RBI single for Aledmi's Diaz, and we're tied at one. There's a shot up the middle. That's a base hit. They're going to send Alvarez. Here's the throw from Hampson. Safe at home. It's 2-1 to one Astros on the RBI single by Aledmi's Diaz. Breaking pitch is driven. Left field pretty deep, and it's off the top of the wall in left field. Correa is going to score easily. It's a double for Diaz, his third RBI, and the Astros lead 5-1. to one. Swung on and lined to left field, and it's a base hit. Scoring is Gallo. Another base hit, another ribby for the Yanks. Gallo scores, and the Yankees take a 3-0 lead. All right, I are, are we convinced these are real? Because it's just from a Twitter account about a book. A, there's a Giannis biography coming out and a Twitter account that I've never heard of. Fake JT Hawk uh, tweeted out excerpts from this Giannis book about Jason Kidd. Uh, one of which includes him basically forcing his players to cancel their plans on Christmas because they lost a game on December 23rd, and then he asked players in the locker room, including Zaza Pachulia, basically, like, 
was that good enough? Like, was that a winnable game? And do you think we deserve the next two days off? And Zaza Pachulia had to be like, yeah, we suck tonight, but it's Christmas. We should be allowed to go home. Jason Kidd made them come to practice on December 24th at 9 a.m., made players on the team cancel flights and plans and ran them for three hours and then made them go lift weights and go do exercises in the pool to the point where Larry Sanders, who was on the team, left and went to the hospital. Like, okay, there's still part of me that doesn't believe these are true, but what the hell is going on with Jason Kidd as a head coach? Why don't you believe they're true? I just, just the Twitter account they came from. Just Dr. Elliot Koopferger's water bottle is the name of the Twitter account that it came from. You're the one evaluating the source. You're putting it out there. All right. All right. We'll, we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Jason Kidd, uh, wasn't his name prominent with one coaching job in particular this past offseason? He got a head coaching job. Right. Yeah. yeah. But what about Portland? Oh, this is the guy yes. that this is the guy that Damian Lillard wanted. Yes, that's the thing that I find most amazing about this. I'm trying because yeah, you get a job, whatever. That's fine. The point of the matter for me is that there was a superstar in the NBA out there wanting Jason Kidd to come be his coach. That to me suggests that either Jason Kidd has changed a whole lot, or there could be something dubious here. Yeah, because there's another detail from this where Jason Kidd made his players run in practice because Thon Maker had an Android and Kidd didn't like that the group message had green bubbles instead of blue bubbles. Like, again, okay, there's part of me that wants to believe all of this because A, it's insane, and B, I'm kind of surprised Jason Kidd didn't get like Mark Jackson as a head coach, because if you look at Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson, they both had a superstar in Steph Curry and Giannis, and they didn't really do anything with them. The next coach came in and immediately had those teams as title contenders and eventually both won titles there. So I'm a little surprised that hasn't happened to Jason Kidd here, but it's just, okay, so so you're with me on like the skepticism of, is this actually real? Are these actual excerpts from this Giannis biography? First of all, before we get to are they real or not, when does the check from Mike Budenholzer's agent arrive in your mailbox that you just compared Steve Kerr and Mike Budenholzer? Okay, it was more of a comparison of Mark Jackson and uh, Jason Kidd, but yes, fair enough. He fair still, enough. He won a title. Come on, Adam. We can give him a little bit of credit. Yeah, maybe the first coach to win a title and save his job in the process because I think anything <laughs> short of that, you would have looked at Mike Budenholzer and said, yeah, it's time to get Giannis someone who can help him. Um yeah, I you look. You Turn have to have defense. a little bit. You have to have a little bit of skepticism uh, about these accounts because they are, in particular, uh, the first one insane. The second one, uh, I'm going to be honest about this. And Jared, you're being targeted here. Yes, he deserves it. I get pissed at Jared forcing all of us to be on <laughs> green bubbles on text. I don't know if I would do it to the point of making guys run or have to extra practice for it, but. But it, it, it irks me. It, it absolutely tweaks me that, that we have to be on green bubbles because Jared is on Boost Mobile. Boost Mobile? No, I specifically, I do not support Apple as a company. I have my own personal issues with them, except for the fact that I love Ted Lasso. <laughs> so, Ted, uh, Ted Lasso has made up for suicide nets. Here's, here's my complaint about Jared not having 
an iPhone and other people that don't have an iPhone. I have an iPhone, but a lot of times when I'm at home, my phone will be somewhere else and I just do everything off my computer because I can get people with iPhones that send me iMessages. They show up on my computer, but not from Jared. So I will, like, hear my phone buzzing, expect my computer to give me a notification, and realize, oh, no, I've got to get up and go see what the hell Jared had to say to me. You can fix that, by the way. We'll, I can? We'll talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, get, I, I get my texts on my computer. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I won't uh, be as mad at Jared anymore. You can get non-iPhone, non-iMessage texts? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not mess with the balance of the show. Like, well, for that, th- this I'll is, be annoyed this is fair. Else. This is fair. You probably will find another way to annoy him, though. Have okay. faith in yourself, Jared. Ooh. Have faith. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I'm someone who for a very long time was like, I'm sticking to PC. It's customizable. It makes more sense to me. I grew up, I, I mean, look, I'm old. The very first browser that I had was text-based. There were no pictures It all. Everything you typed into the internet came back to you in text form. So I, I understand some people not wanting to be able to uh, not wanting to switch into the, to the Apple ecosystem. But you know what? Then I got older and it was just simpler and, it, and, and I gave in okay. and I gave in to all of it. And I understand Jared's moral reasons for it. There are certain stores I don't shop at that go along those lines. Um, but damn it. They won me over with convenience. Okay. But here's the one thing I'll point out. If I want to update my graphics card on my PC, I buy a new graphics card. If I wanted to update my graphics card on my Mac, I have to throw the whole computer away. Jason Kidd does not like you. Jason Kidd <laughs> would like never him. have you as his producer. Dude, he was what I if you guys want to hear some horror stories, he was my team's coach and I would go, "How did we lose?" He was awful. Jared, Sunday morning, 9 a.m., you're just doing laps around the building. We don't have we can't have these green bubbles anymore. That'll be great. Yeah. Broken ribs and a burnt hand. Just start doing laps. That burnt hand's not on your feet. You can run. You'll be just <laughs> fine. You'll be just fine. No big deal. We'll throw you in the pool, too. Does chlorine sting your hand? We'll find out if chlorine will sting Jared's burnt hand. By the way, Jared burned his hand, if you don't follow him on Twitter, by dumping Five, boiling water four, on himself and has just looked excruciating pain the last three days. Good job, John Smoltz.